everybody. I hope you guys are good this morning. Um, We'll go ahead and get started here in just a second. But before we do, uh, I just want to mention one thing. Um, Some of you may know John Meeks. John is a um, a tender of redemption. Uh, He's also a local artist. And this uh, past uh, handmade fair back in the fall, John had a booth where he had uh, like driftwood art set up and does stuff with driftwood. Anyway, um, John this past week uh, unexpectedly experienced a stroke, and so he's currently in the hospital, and um, things were were, uh, pretty rough earlier in the week. So just um, as we get started this morning, uh, I just want to take a moment and uh, pray for John, uh, specifically let you guys know about what's going on. And uh, if any of you guys know John, um, that I'm sure over the next, you know, coming uh, weeks, John will certainly need our support, uh, whatever we can do to help. So let me pray as we get started. God, um, thank you uh, for John, for his involvement uh, in the community of Redemption Church and also Augusta. Uh, God, thank you for the gifts and the way that he um, is an artist and um, in the way that that um, the way that he's involved in the community and in other people's lives. God, pray very specifically for John as he is uh, in the hospital now, recovering. Um, sure, it's a scary situation um, and, and just a weird time for him. So, God, we pray for um, comfort and peace for John as he's there. We pray for a complete recovery. Pray that you would be at work and in his body, that you would um, help him recover well, that you would give skill to the medical staff around him to, to help them to know what to do. But, but God, we look forward uh, to hearing about how you were there with him, how you comforted him, how you, you brought him through this time of uh, sickness to a point of healing. God, we thank you that um, we thank you that we can come to you with this request and that we can trust you to be at work and know that you will be. And God, this morning as we transition into a time of hearing from your word, I pray that you would be at work in our hearts and minds to allow us to hear from you. Um, God, I pray that you would make me an instrument of your grace and mercy, of your love, of the gospel, that you would be honored and glorified and that we would be encouraged in this place. God, we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Um, as you guys may know, uh, Brent Skelly, one of the pastors here at Redemption, uh, started his sabbatical this past week. Several years ago, we here at Redemption decided that once a pastor had been on staff for around seven years, um, that a sabbatical is something that could be really good for the pastor, really good for the church as well. And so we've made this uh, a practice for the pastoral staff, and we'll continue to do so going forward. But back in the summer of 2019, uh, Ben Ritchie was on sabbatical. And uh, as you guys may know, Ben and I share uh, preaching duties here at Redemption. Uh, truth be told, though, Ben carries the weight of planning and scheduling. He's really uh, the brains of it all. And uh, somehow for that summer when Ben was going to be away on sabbatical, we landed on preaching through the book of First John. And uh, leading up to that summer, Ben lined up several members of Redemption to preach on specific passages from First John as well. And I think for me personally and for the church as a whole, that was quite a memorable and rewarding experience to be a part of, um, to have some of our own members um, 
preaching and teaching and uh, leading us into God's Word in 1 John. It was a pretty fantastic experience, I think. But thinking back on that time, uh, for me personally, I came to genuinely love and enjoy the book of 1 John in a way that maybe I hadn't before that summer. Uh, there's such wisdom that John has for uh, believers, for the community of faith uh, in that book. And so this morning, I want to just take a moment and revisit something uh, that we looked at back in 2019, and specifically look at 1 John 4, 7 through 21. 1 John 4, 7 through 21, and this is that passage. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not, know, for he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God, must also love his brother. I think it's pretty common experience for us as Westerners, specifically to put a lot of stock in our identities and how those identities uh, define us and give us purpose and meaning. That may not be true of everyone, but I think it's a pretty common experience. It's not unusual for us to ask questions about the meaning and purpose of life that's just part of what it means to be human, I think. But questions like, why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? Is there anything that I can give my life to that is actually worthwhile? Sociologists tell us that these are the greatest questions of the millennial generation. That's the people who are currently somewhere in their 20s, early to mid-30s. But I think those questions are probably true of most people, regardless of what generation they are a part of. Whether they would be framed exactly like that or not, it's a pretty common experience to ask those questions. And furthermore, to ask questions like, have the things that I've given my life to, have the things that I've found purpose and meaning in, have those things actually been worthwhile? Or has my life been like the eternal work of Sisyphus? I don't know if you remember this mythological story where this Greek king was punished by Zeus 
for his deceit and trickery by being forced to push uh, a boulder up a hill only for it to roll down when he nears the top so he has to keep doing it over and over and over. As I've gotten older, though, the questions I ask myself are not so much about identity and purpose anymore as much as they are about faithfulness. Have I been faithful to what God has called me to? And by that, I don't mean like a calling to ministry or a calling to a vocation or something along those lines, but have I been faithful to the small, everyday, mundane things that a life is ultimately built on? Certainly there is purpose and meaning to be found in faithfulness, I believe. Fyodor Dostoevsky, the guy that's famous for writing Crime and Punishment and the Brothers Karamazov, other books as well, wrote another somewhat less known book entitled The House of the Dead. And it's not a biographical book that he wrote about his time in a Russian prison camp in Siberia. And in that book, the narrator is reflecting on what sort of, um, on what the labor in a prison camp is all about. Sort of reflecting on his experience there. And he says this about the work in the prison camp. If one wanted to crush and destroy a man entirely, to mete out to him the most terrible punishment, all one would have to do would be to make him do work that was completely and utterly devoid of usefulness and meaning. I think in the passage that we just read from 1 John, though, John gives us meaning and purpose for the work of the Christian life, and there's such wisdom in it. He talks about God's identity as being that of love, and how that same sort of love defines what it means to be a child of God and a follower of Jesus. If we as people are looking for purpose and meaning, if we as people are looking to be faithful to what we've been called, well, I think the purpose can be found right here in what John has to say to us in the book of 1 John and specifically in the passage we read this morning. So what does John, I mean, what does 1 John 4, verses 7 through 21 have to say about our purpose and meaning in life? What is our purpose according to to this passage. Verse 7, John writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved the world, we also ought to love one another. Verse 21, In this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. It's impossible to read these verses and not see that John is calling us to the everyday, mundane purpose of love. It is, however, entirely possible to see that John is calling us to be people defined by love like Jesus, but then still live a life of love, still live a life that's devoid of the love that John is calling us to. That's why John keeps talking about it over and over and over in this passage and in this book and in in all that he writes. If we were to look at the entire letter of 1 John, we would see that this is the third major place in this small letter that John has devoted a considerable effort in calling this congregation to love one another, the congregation that he's writing to. 
keeps coming back to it. And in fact, I don't really think John is saying anything in this passage that he hasn't already said elsewhere. But it is a good summation of what he says throughout the entire book. It's really just an exhortation to do what John has been talking about all along, loving one another. To love one another because God has loved, because God has loved us, because God has made that love known to us in Jesus. God is calling us to be like him as we love one another. Love is God's nature, right? It defines who he is. That's what verse 8 says. And so perhaps we should start to consider the fact that we are never more like Christ than when we are actually loving one another. There's a story about John that is recorded in Jerome's commentary on Galatians. Jerome was a priest around the 4th century, and this story was supposedly passed down from some early church fathers to Jerome. But the story is that John lived in Ephesus until he was really old, supposedly died there. When he was really old, his disciples would carry him to the gatherings of the church body in homes or wherever else they were meeting. And during their gatherings, as John was old, he evidently didn't say much in his old age except for constantly saying things like this, little children love one another. Eventually the story goes that someone asked him, teacher, why do you always say this? Why do you always come back to this? And he replied, because it is the Lord's commandment, and if it alone is kept, it is sufficient. The more I read First John, and especially this passage here, the more I am convinced that the highest calling, that the ultimate purpose of a believer is to love God and to love one another. And that's really not that far-fetched because Jesus said the same thing, right? The more I read First John, the more I'm convinced of this truth. Therefore, maybe we need to realize that the ultimate test of our profession of Christ is our willingness to actually love one another. I would go so far as to say that it is a more vital test of our belonging to Christ than our orthodoxy or doctrine or beliefs. And that's not to say that our doctrine and beliefs aren't important. But it's been my personal experience and the traditions that I've come on, up in that a systematized understanding of theology is often prioritized over the very thing that John is calling us to in this passage. John has spent a good deal of this letter making sure that we know and believe the right things about Jesus because the reality of the situation that John was writing to is that there were false teachers and what he calls antichrist in the midst of this body of faith who were teaching false doctrines. And so part of the reason that John writes this letter is to correct and to rebuke those false teachers. But right, it, we have to acknowledge that it's important to have a correct and solid foundation of good doctrine and right beliefs. But our doctrine and our beliefs are not actually our testimony. Our love for one another is a testimony to our belonging to Christ, to our adoptions as sons and daughters. Jesus himself said that in John 13, 35, when he said, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. It's completely possible 
for a person to hold correct beliefs and not be a child of God. It's possible to be interested in theology, to defend correct beliefs, to know they're all, to know all there is to know, and yet be devoid of the love of Christ. But if we are children of God, if we are followers of Christ, then we have been called and given the purpose of loving one another. John's not the only one saying this in the New Testament, right? Paul says the same thing, 1 Corinthians 13, where he wrote, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. We often hear that at weddings. But the love that John and Paul are speaking about here is clearly not something that's natural. It's not something that just happens. It's different. It's manifested in Jesus through his sacrifice on our behalf, and that's where it's most clearly seen. John says that in verse 10 when he writes, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Here's the thing. God is love. We belong to God. Therefore, we are to be defined by that same type of love. We must love with a sacrificial love. We must put ourselves out there for others like Jesus did. Right? And if we think about the broader implications of this call, sacrificing for others means that we stand for one another. We stand for those whose voices are not heard, for the outcasts. We stand for and love our brothers and sisters whom our society has systemically treated unjustly. We stand for our neighbors, those in need, like Jesus called us to do. Right? And of course, what this should do is lead us to ask the question of how are we supposed to go about fulfilling the, this purpose of love? How are we actually supposed to get to the point where we love sacrificially like Jesus did? How are we to develop, to nurture, and to pursue this sort of Christ-likeness? Because that's what it is. I think it boils down to two things. One, there has to be a moment where we are awakened to the reality of how much God truly loves us. And secondly, we have to pursue knowing God and thus being like Jesus. It's essential that we wake up to the knowledge of how much we are loved by God. If I were to ask you how you wake up in the morning, how does it go for you? Does the alarm clock startle you? Are you surprised by it? Do you... You lay in bed for some time after the alarm goes off, repeatedly hitting the snooze button, trying to come to your senses. Are you already awake even before the alarm clock goes off, ready to tackle your day? Whether this understanding and realization of how much we are loved happens quickly or slowly, just like how we wake up, we still need to grasp this. We need to have this moment of awakening to the reality of God's love for us. We all need that moment of awakening. John gives it to us in 1 John 4, 9 through 10, when he says, well, we only hear the unbelievable 
magnificent, incredible reality of God's love. He puts it this way, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his Son. Beloved, I would ask you to wake up to the reality of God's love for you. One person has said this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we would ever dare believe, yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. John is begging us, exhorting us to see that God is love, that God manifested that love through Jesus, and that we are loved by God immensely. And there's a purpose to it, to love one another. I won't belabor that point any longer, but I do want this truth to sink into your hearts and minds in a way that is actually life-changing. The second part of what it means to, or how we pursue this Christ-likeness of loving like Jesus loves, the, the second thing we must do, I believe, is to pursue knowing God, not knowing about Him, but truly knowing God, so that we too will become like Jesus so that we will become Christ-like in our love for one another. Right? We can do that by uh, developing and cultivating a rich prayer life through developing and cultivating a love for God's Word with the help of one another in our families, in our homes, our friendships, through our shared practices and missional communities, truly pursuing what it means and and looks like to know God. Right? together to go through the rhythms of becoming like Jesus. The logic is, is that God is love, according to what John says here. Therefore, the more I know God, the more I will know that God is love. The more that I know that God is love, the more I will know about love. And the more I know about love, the more I will love like God loves if I am his child. Because he is the means by which we can love God one another. Verse 19 reminds us to love one another because God first loved us. This whole passage is essentially calling us to that truth alone, to love one another because God first loved us. It's a command. We've been called to it. It's part of our purpose as believers. And the way that we go about fulfilling this purpose is, being, uh, is by being reminded of and awakening to the reality of God's love for each and every one of us, to the knowledge of God's love for us, and by pursuing knowing God in such a way that we become like Christ in His nature, that our Christ-likeness reflects God's love. Right? What a privilege and honor it is that God calls us to be like Him. What a privilege and honor it is that He calls us to Himself, that we might be like Him, that we might love like him. How great a privilege and how magnificent a responsibility that is. Church, as we start this new year, uh, the call this morning for us is really simple. Let's strive to be Christ-like in our love for one another. Let's strive to be Christ-like in our love for our community. Let's strive to be Christ-like in our love one another, to our community, 
and beyond. It's a pretty simple call, but I believe um, it's a call that we need to hear nonetheless as we start this new year. Uh, we're going to enter into a time of response, and uh, during this time of response, we'll do the things that we normally do here at Redemption. Uh, we have an opportunity to sing as the band comes back up in just a second and to worship through singing. We have an opportunity to be reminded that our giving is actually an act of response and an act of worship. There's a giving basket in the back. Most of us probably give uh, digitally or electronically, some other way, but um, it is an opportunity for us to remember that our giving uh, is worship and it's in response to God's overwhelming love and care for us in the way that he's provided for us. Uh, we also have an opportunity to take communion. We take communion every Sunday at Redemption in order to remember what Christ has done for us, the reality of the gospel, and to proclaim to one another that it is good and true. So if you're here this morning, whether you're a part of Redemption Church, uh, I would invite you to come and remember what Christ has done for us to proclaim to one another that you believe it, that you can actually do those things, remember and proclaim. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and, uh, and we'll go from there. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for his overwhelming love and provision for us. God, uh, thank you that you've made a way for us to be right with you. You've made a way for us to be right with one another. God, that you've made a way for us to be right with ourselves. And God, this morning as we continue to respond, as we continue to uh, focus our hearts and minds on Jesus, I pray that you would draw us to yourself. Pray that you would remind us, that you would awaken us to the overwhelming love that you have for us. The way you've manifested that love through Jesus. The way he's acted on our behalf. And God, I pray that you would instill in our hearts a deep desire to be like Christ. And this morning specifically, a desire to be like Christ in the way that we love one another, our community, and those around us. God, once again, we thank you for Jesus. We pray that he would continue to be lifted high in this place and that we would be drawn to you because of Christ. God, we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.